What do you need this evening? Maybe you've got troubles in life causing you to question God. Well, Job had that. What did he need? He was given a view of God, a view of who God is, such that it, it helped him, it enabled him to persevere through his troubles with a right attitude to God. Maybe you're here this evening wondering what to do with your life. Well, Isaiah, what was he given? He was given such a view of God that what he wanted to do with his life was to serve this God. Maybe you're quite different this evening. Maybe you think, these Christians, they go on about sin a lot. Ah, oh, They're overdoing it. I know I'm not perfect, no one is, but it's, it's no big deal, is it really? Well, what you need is a view of who God is, so you see how badly you've treated him. It is a big deal. Well, there are just a few of the many reasons that could be given why we're having a series on Sunday evenings on the attributes of God. Attributes of God means basically his characteristics. Who is he? What's he like? We're having a series on the attributes of God over the next few weeks because we need to know who he is. And as we do that this evening, I am aiming to push us down and push God up. That's a, that's a very inelegant, not very satisfactory way of saying, I'm aiming to make us have lower views of ourselves and higher views of God. And I hope that that will happen as we learn this evening that God is incomprehensible but knowable. That's our attributes, or is it two attributes? I don't know. They go together anyway for this evening. Last week we had God is Trinity because we must start with he is three in one. Everything then flows from that. This week we have God is incomprehensible but knowable because all the other things that we learn are shaped by and depend on that. So, the way I want to approach it this evening is quite simple. It's not an easy subject, but it is quite simple in this sense. First of all, think about God being incomprehensible, then being knowable, and then, well, why learn this? Some applications. So first of all, God is incomprehensible. Now, children here, I don't know if you like learning long words. Incomprehensible is fairly long. What does it mean? At school, do you have comprehension exercises? I don't know if they still call them that. What's a comprehension exercise? You read something, then you get asked questions to find out, have you taken in all that you've read? Have you taken it all in? Well, God is incomprehensible means we can't take him all in. We can't get our mind around him. It doesn't mean we can't understand him at all. But we certainly can't understand him fully. And that doesn't mean that there are just some gaps in our understanding. No. Everything about God, whether you pick his love or his power or his purity or his goodness, or everything about God is beyond our mind to grasp fully. We can't get our minds fully around any of God's attributes, anything about him. Now, I've so far just claimed that. Let's now have a try at showing it. Why do I say God's incomprehensible? Let's get some Bible proofs. 
Let's turn first of all to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a truth which is dotted around the Bible in so many places, but I know that becomes hard to follow if we go to too many places, so I'm trying to limit us this evening to a few. And we'll start here with how we started the service. 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. God is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Why does it say he lives in unapproachable light? Is it just making a statement about the place he lives in, that it's rather like a, a, an amazing star? Why does it say no one has seen him or can see? Is it just a statement that he's invisible like the air in this room is invisible? No, it's telling us more than that. It's telling us we can't figure him out for ourselves. How do you figure things out for yourself? Let's imagine you're in a science lesson. There's an object you're trying to figure out. What would you do? Well, first thing is you get close and you look at it. Maybe you put it under a microscope. Maybe you give it a prod. Maybe you pull it apart. And our verse is saying you can't do anything like that with God. You can't get close. You can't give him a look. You can't pull him apart. You can't work him out through your senses or your experiences. In other words, it's saying your brain cannot get around him. He is incomprehensible. But hang on a minute, there are some things you don't see, but you can work them out through making comparisons. So let's, can we approach God that way? Let's turn to our next Bible passage, a very short one, Isaiah 40, verse 18. Isaiah 40, verse 18. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? The context was uh, these ancient people making idols. So they're comparing God with a model that they make. And the message is, you can't do that because there's no comparison good enough. I'll try to give you an example of why there's no comparison good enough. If you haven't eaten turkey, how can I try to give you an idea of what it's like eating turkey? Well, I could make a comparison. I could say, well, have you eaten chicken? It's a bit like chicken, but it's drier and less tasty, which makes you wonder why we have it for Christmas. Just stick with chicken. But if you say, but I've never eaten chicken, I say, okay, right. Well, it's a bit like beef, but it's less dark and it's softer. And if you say, but I'm a vegetarian, I say, well, I'm a bit stumped, actually. Is it like halloumi? I don't know. I've only had halloumi once in my life. I can't remember it. Do you see, the point is, the further your experience gets from eating turkey, the less helpful the comparisons are. Now, it's rather silly, that one, but I hope you see a non-silly point. You see, with God, he is so beyond anything we've ever experienced, that all comparisons start to become unhelpful. You could say God is bigger than the mountains, but he's so much bigger that the comparison just isn't that helpful. And so we are reduced to saying, here's my third passage on God is incomprehensible, Psalm 145, verse 3. 
We can't see him, we can't approach him, we can't get our minds around him, we can't make a comparison that really lives up to anything worthwhile with him. And we're reduced to saying Psalm 145 verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. Children, do you know what fathoming is? Fathoming is in a ship, you drop a weight over the side of the ship into the sea on a string and you let out the string until you can feel that the weight has hit the bottom of the sea and then you can measure how deep it is. Now imagine you're in a ship over, well you're in the sea just off the coast of the Philippines over a place called the Mariana Trench, the deepest bit of sea in the world. Are you going to fathom that? No, you haven't got a piece of string long enough. No one's got a piece of string that is going to reach to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. And us trying to get our, that, that, get our minds round God is, is like that. We haven't got a mind big enough. He is unfathomable. Well, there are many other places we could have looked in the Bible, but instead of looking at more, I want us just to think about why this is obvious, actually. It should be no surprise we we can't get our minds around God. I could give loads of examples because we could take anything about God and see our minds can't get round it. That's why, as I said, this sermon's coming near the start of the series. Because as we move on, for everything we learn about, we've got to take this into account. You can't get your mind around it. But for now, let's just think about God from one angle. I once saw a notice board that said the sun could be considered as not just the centre of the solar system, but basically the whole solar system. I thought, surely I've misread that. Something wrong there. But I hadn't. Because it went on to say the sun makes up 99.8% of all the matter, all the mass in the solar system. I still thought it must have got it wrong, but I looked it up and it hasn't. Think of that. The sun, 99.8% of the mass in the whole solar system is the sun. Now think of all the water in the Mariana Trench and in the whole Pacific. Think of the quantity of rock in in the Himalayas. Think how tiny you are compared with all that. And then think, all that matter, plus the rest of planet Earth, plus all of the planets in the solar system, and all the comets and meteorites and whatever else there might be, makes up 0.2% of the solar system. And the rest is the sun. How humongous must the sun be? And God made it, and all the galaxies, out of nothing. Well, of course he's incomprehensible. And then you add to that, he is not some force behind the universe. No. No. He's he's a person. He's person, and and not only is he a person, we heard last week, he's three persons in one. Wow. Of course he's incomprehensible. And then you think, all of that matter, I meant to say this one first, I've got my order wrong. For all that matter in the universe, I didn't say... It came from within God. I said God made it from nothing. It would be inaccurate to say it came from within God because it's not as if it's spewed out of God because God isn't made of atoms and matter. He's spirit. And so again, of course, he's incomprehensible. And so we are reduced 
to saying, Romans 11, do you know it? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has ever known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Do you see again? The Bible keeps telling us he's incomprehensible. But we won't stop there. Thankfully, we're not left there. Let's have the second section. The second section is God is knowable. He's knowable. Let's turn to Matthew 11, verse 27. Matthew 11, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And if we were to stop there, we would be totally stuck. Because it sounds like no help at all, doesn't it? It sounds a complete conundrum. It sounds like a closed loop. There's the Father knowing the Son, and the Son knowing the Father, and no one else knowing them, and it's like this closed loop with us on the outside, having to guess from an immeasurable distance. But then we get the good news. Verse 27. No one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Son has chosen to reveal God to the God the Father to people. And he hasn't done it by sending an angel to give us a message. He it, he's done it by coming himself. And so John 1 verse 18 can tell us God is incomprehensible but knowable. You know John 1 verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son has made him known. No one's ever seen him. You won't figure him out yourself. But the Son can make him known to you. I love that. I love that, that the greatest revelation of God is not the sun in the sky that I was talking about or the complexity of the human brain. But it was a weak-looking carpenter nailed to a cross out of love for us, displaying God's grace and truth. That is the greatest revelation of God there's ever been. That's how he's known. But... I've ignored a difficulty in Matthew 11. There's a difficulty here because there were people who saw Jesus. Loads of people saw Jesus. And loads of people even saw his miracles. But they didn't see him in the sense of they didn't get it. They didn't see him. Have a look at verse 20. Verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been permitted, performed, because they did not repent. They saw the miracles, but they didn't see who he was and didn't turn to him. And he even explains this in terms we might find hard to accept. Verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, 
for this was your good pleasure. The Son doesn't reveal God to everyone. How does the Son reveal God to some and not to others? Well, let's turn to, I think if I remember rightly, this is our last passage this evening. 1 Corinthians 2, the main reading we read, 1 Corinthians 2. How does the Son reveal the Father to some, while while others hear the same preaching, even see the same Jesus 2,000 years ago, even received miracles but still didn't see who he was? How? The answer 1 Corinthians 2 gives us is the work of the Spirit. Do you see verse 10? But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Now, by the way, in the context, the it is the gospel. Revealing the gospel. But it's also true for knowing God because you can't know God apart from through his gospel being revealed. And that work of the Spirit revealing God to us is described in verses 11 to 14 in a very orderly way. And I'm going to just try to quickly show you the structure. We're not going to read through it all again. Um, Afterwards you can read it and I hope you'll see that I have represented it properly. Here's the very orderly way. It goes a bit like this. Try to guess what I'm picturing in my mind now. Go on, try to guess what I'm picturing in my mind now. You can't, can you? No? You've got no way of of guessing that I was picturing a giraffe ducking down and walking in the door and taking a seat on the front row. He said, budge up to Rob, I want to sit here. You couldn't guess that, could you? No. No, because only you don't know what my spirit, the inner me, knows. You'd never work that out. Now, in a similar way, no one knows what's going on inside God except his spirit. That's verse 11. Verse 11 saying, no one can know the inner workings of God and what he's thinking apart from his spirit. That's verse 11. Now, you now know what I was thinking because I've told you. And so also the spirit told the mind of God to the apostles. That's verse 12. Verse 12, the we is the apostles have been told God's mind by the Spirit. But the apostles didn't keep that revelation to themselves. No, they spread that by their teaching as they spoke and as they wrote the New Testament. They didn't keep it to themselves so that others could know God's mind. That's verse 13. But that isn't the work of the Holy Spirit finished. When the Bible was completed, the Holy Spirit didn't return to heaven. Job done. No. That would be like painting a beautiful picture, a clear picture, and giving it to a blind person. Not much help. The Holy Spirit then needs to work in the people who hear the message of the cross. You see, the message of the cross is like a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture that demonstrates to people the greatest rescue plan. But it's being given to people who are spiritually blind. How's that problem overcome? They need the Holy Spirit to open their eyes, to see the picture. And that is verse 14. That's verse 14. So do you see? Do you see here we have the Holy Spirit... Using God's word, don't separate him from God's word, 
the Holy Spirit using God's words through God's people, usually, not always, but usually, he makes known to us Jesus. And have you noticed the link with last week? You noticed the link with last week? God is the great incomprehensible one, the infinite creator. But he's knowable. He's knowable because he is the personal three. And the Father sent the Son, who displays the invisible God. And the Father and the Son together sent the Spirit, who caused the Bible to be written, and then works in us to open our eyes to see Jesus in the Bible. So Jesus, through Jesus, we can know the invisible, incomprehensible God. It's all the work of the Trinity. God is incomprehensible, but knowable. Let's have, lastly, some applications. I've got quite a few, actually, applications. Let's have a picture on the screen. Now, here's a picture I'm going to try to make use of in most of my applications. Not quite all of them, but most of them. Here are some blind people, or maybe they're blindfolded, and they're around an elephant, and they're trying to work out what they've got. One person has hold of the legs and says, oh, it's a tree. Another has hold of the trunk. It's a snake. Another one's just touched the tusk. It's a spear. Anyway, you get the idea, don't you? None of them have said it's an elephant because they're just feeling for different parts and they're blind or blindfolded and they can't tell what it is. Okay, keep the picture in your mind, but we'll take it off the screen and let's have some applications of God is incomprehensible but knowable. First one, don't be muddled by other religions. Some use that picture to say, like the blind people round the elephant, all religions have got a bit of the truth. Put them together and you'll get an idea of what God is like. Well, I think that's incredibly silly. Because if you put together what all those blind people said, what would you get? A tree with a spear sticking out and a snake hanging off it, and I can't remember the others. A fan on the top. Yeah? You wouldn't get an elephant. Because God is incomprehensible. He cannot be understood or discovered by human religion or the cleverest philosophers. So don't get muddled by them. Don't get intimidated by them. Here's the next one. I said I've got quite a few, but they're all quite quick. The next one is don't rely on your ideas of God. You see, you may not have any worry about other religions. You may not have any attraction to other religions. You might dismiss them all. But I've often heard Christians say, I like to think of God as... And then they fill in the blank from their own imagination. And it's usually something really tame and inoffensive. Or I've heard Christians say, I couldn't imagine God doing... And then fill in the blank. And it's usually something like judging people. But the answer to that is, you can't imagine God full stop. Because he's incomprehensible. So our thoughts about how we might like to think of God, or how we might imagine God, or what we can't imagine about God, are no more accurate than those blind people around the elephant. Here's the third one. Do be confident in God's revelation. You see, some people go the other way. 
they some use the, the elephant picture to say, all the religion is just like those blind people. They've all got it wrong. It's just all confusion. It's all hopeless. No one knows what God is like. Now, some people have a much better sounding version than that. Some have a version that where they might even be trying to honour God because they say God is too great to be captured by human language. It would be proud to claim we can make true, definite statements about God. He's just too great for that and we're too little to manage it. And so they're very sceptical about doctrine. Christian teaching. They're very sceptical about being dogmatic and saying God is this and he is not that. No, they want just, he's too mysterious for that. And it sounds quite good, but it's not because, think of the elephant picture. I did actually have an alternative picture, but it didn't come up very well. And it had a person without a blindfold fed up with the others saying, it's an elephant. He made a true statement because He could see the revelation. It isn't pride. It's confidence in Jesus. It's reliance on the Holy Spirit to say for definite, God is love. And that isn't limiting him by human language. It's what God's revealed to us. God is almighty. God is pure. God is angry with sinners. We can make definite statements because God is knowable. He's made himself known. Here's another one, short one. Do enjoy getting to know God. He's incomprehensible. What does that mean? It means you'll never run out of things to discover about him. Even in 10,000 years time, where are you going to be in 10,000 years time? That's a serious question. That is the most serious question. Where are you going to be in 10,000 years' time? If you're with God, you'll never be bored because he's incomprehensible and you'll never exhaust getting to know him. And he's also knowable. So get stuck into his revelation. Here it is. Have you got a copy? Make it a lifetime's project getting to know him in this book. It's not just a textbook. It's not just I've got to do my Bible reading. It's a lifetime's project of getting to know him. Here's the last one, last lesson, do humbly worship. I, I said at the beginning about pushing you down. I hope I've pushed you down. Sorry about the inelegant phrase. But I hope I've given us all a sense of our smallness. I hope I've given you a sense of how silly it is to think we can figure out God. A sense of how inappropriate it is uh, when we act as if we can sit in judgment of God and dissect him. A sense of how dependent you are on God. If the Son had not chosen by the Spirit to reveal God to you, you'd be hopelessly in the dark and that would be that. So I hope I've pushed you down, but I hope I've pushed God up. This evening, what we've been doing is having a little swim on the surface of a small part of the Mariana Trench looking into the depths below us. In other words, we've, I hope, got a little teeny-weeny idea of the unfathomable greatness of God. And the response should be, bow and worship.